This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. If you want God to pour down the blessings from heaven, if you want him to open the windows of heaven and bless your life in any particular area, it's about you giving the first things of God from that area so that he can rain down his blessings on you. The reason he won't do it is because God will not become an enabler. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Looking for a blessed life? Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Last time we started a new message from a new series called The Blessed Life. If you missed it, you can find all the episodes on all the major podcast platforms. But for now, Pastor Jeff is continuing with the first fruits principle and the call God has put on our lives to give back to Him. Here's Pastor Jeff. Now, this is not a sermon of manipulation. Your salvation is free. Has nothing to do with this message. Jesus delivered you by His blood on the cross and you are saved and you're gonna be with God someday. You understand? That is not what this message is about. Your salvation is not about how much you give or giving God the first fruits of your life. It's not about, it's about what Jesus did on the cross and your journey toward Christ-likeness. You understand? Common everyday blessings, God continues to pour down. It's not what this sermon is about. This sermon is about you. If you want God to pour down the blessings from heaven, if you want him to open the windows of heaven and bless your life in any particular area, it's about you giving the first things of God from that area so that he can rain down his blessings on you. A father wants to do that. The reason he won't do it when you're not adhering to first fruits, firstborn, first portions is because God will not become an enabler. Have you ever met a mother who's an enabler? It's not fun to watch, is it? You know, it's the little kid that screams and cries all the time because he knows that's the way he can manipulate his mom to get what he wants. And she becomes an enabler by always giving him what he wants when he screams and cries. Then he becomes a teenager and he comes to mom and he says, mom, you know, I'm, I'm smoking pot. I'm on other drugs. And I know it's not good for me, but I really need it. And rather than saying, hey, son, if you're going to do that, you're out of my house. She says, oh, I understand. Life is tough. And you know, if that's, if that's what helps you, that's, you understand? That's called an enabler. That's why some kids end up living with their parents when they're 50 years old. Now, here's the good news. We've all had enabling mothers. My mother was an enabler. And I'm not afraid to say that because she's dead. <laughs> but she, she was an enabler. No doubt about it. My mom was an enabler. I remember between my junior and senior year, Uh, We got this new basketball player from the Virgin Islands. His name was James Henry. He was about 6'9 and about 240. And I was the captain of the team, kind of, you know, the guy. 
And I knew in the summer when they announced him coming that things were gonna change. I was brought into the coach's office and he said, Jeff, man, we got a new player. You're still the captain, but you're not gonna, be, you're not gonna play four position. I'm gonna move you to a two guard, which in, by the way was the best thing that ever happened to me, but I didn't know it at the time. I just saw me losing my post position and the worship of people and small gods. You know how you are when you're 17. Come on, you know, you're just like that. You adore worship if it's with a small W. And so I went home that day and I sat in the living room of my home and I, I cried to my mommy. Mommy, I can't believe Coach is doing this, man. I've worked hard for so long and now all of a sudden he brings this new kid that's not even from our hometown. He comes in, takes my place. This is just wrong. And what my mom do? She came over and patted my little head. It's okay, son. I understand. Got a little cold cloth and put it on the back of my neck. It's going to be all right. Wipe the tears from my eyes. Son, it's okay. You go down and you tell that mean old coach exactly how you feel. And if you want me to, I'll go with you. 17 years old. My, my father's over in the corner in the lounge chair. He's reading the paper and he kind of lowers it and just watches this whole scenario. After I'm finished whining, my mom's just an enabler. My dad says, Jeff, come outside a minute. So I come outside with dad and we start going in the general vicinity of the woodshed. And my dad gave me a verbal lashing. I'm telling you, he called me every name in the book and I can't say them because we're in church. And he just said, you are, a, you're, you are just a, is this the son that I've raised? You, you get, bow your neck, son. Get some intestinal fortitude and you go down there and you show that coach what you're about. You do your talking with your hard work and your performance. Stop, stop living in a world of entitlement. Come on, man. I thought, if you're the captain, you're a team player. You ought to be happy that you've got this kind of talent. Now you get in there and you show him who you are. Man, it was the thing that I needed the most. While my mom was saying, now don't be too hard on little Jeffrey. <laughs> and here's what I'm telling you about God. God wants to open the windows of heaven and bless you. He loves you. He's already proven that by sending his son to die for you and secured your salvation through the blood of Jesus. He wants to pour out blessings on you, but he's not going to allow you to violate the first fruits principle and still open up the windows of heaven because he's not an enabler. And the question is, what would God have to do to turn your heart around? He says as much in Malachi verse seven of chapter three, he says, return to me. And notice how he puts it. Return to me and I will return to you. Wow. You mean God, if I don't give you the first fruits, I'm not really yours? God is saying, when you don't give me the first fruits, you don't act like you belong to me. And so when you act like you don't belong to me, I'm gonna act like I don't belong to you. But if you turn to me, then I will return to you. Now, here's what happens. And I know this because of experience. Because I did not tithe all my life. Uh, my time, my talents, God to me was like a genie. Rub the magic lamp three times and he gives you whatever you want. My dad taught me through the envelope system and the importance of giving. But tithing, hmm. Didn't really settle in till I was in my 30s. And I can tell you what happens when the day comes, when you make a decision that you're going to give God the best of the areas of your life. The Bible says the devourer comes in and immediately starts to lie to you and bring fear into your life. And I know this because this is exactly what happened. He'll come to you and say, what? Are you crazy? Because remember, the devourer doesn't want you to be blessed by God because the more you're blessed by God, the more you're going to praise God. He doesn't want that going on. That scenario just gets out of control because you can never outgive God. And so he wants to stop it right from the get-go. So he whispers things like this into your ear. Man, are you crazy? You'll go broke. You'll be on the street. 
There's going to be nobody to help you. Or you're not going to have enough left over if you do that. Or if you give God the first of your time, you actually make, make Sunday a priority in your life. Are you kidding me? You, you don't have enough time during the week to rest and recover from your work. You're crazy, man. Don't give God those things. Give him what's left over. And at that point, the Bible says everybody has a choice to make. And it's not a choice of salvation. You understand? You have a choice to make of your relationship with God and your stuff and your time and your talents. And here's the choice. Number one, you can live 100% of your time, talents, and income. Live with it all, all without positional blessings. Do you understand what I mean? It's not about salvation. Let's not make this a works issue. So let's, not, let's not say that unless you give the first roots of your life on every area, you're not saved. Well, that's ridiculous. So when you hear that from a pastor, run as fast as you can. You're saved by the blood of Jesus, point blank. That's it. But you can still choose which way you're going to live. You can live 100% of your time, talents, keep it all, but without positional blessings. Know that God's not going to be an enabler. Or two, you can live with 90% of every area of your life, and God will redeem and bless the rest. It's really your choice. Some of you are going to say, oh, Pastor Jeff, you, again, you, you know where I'm going? I'm, I'm talking about the first fruits of your week, that you would honor God, that worship with God in the house of God would be a non-negotiable. And so that you say, I'm going to give you the first and depend on you to bless the rest. Same thing in your talents and abilities, whatever God has given you, that you would use that the first for the kingdom expansion and then you expect God to redeem and bless the rest. Same is true, obviously, of your money. The first fruits, the tithe, the tenth goes to God and you're depending on him to redeem the rest. The Bible says, if you do this, and this is the way you respond to God, that you're going to experience what he calls the blessed life. You with me? It's up to you. It's up to you. This is not, folks. By the way, somebody will say, Pastor Jeff, you, you just don't know my situation right now. There's no way. Listen, here's what they'll say. There's no way I can give this one to God because I need it. And my response is, oh, no, you don't need this. You need God. You need God involved in every area of your life. And if you want God involved in every area of your life, then whatever area you want God involved in, the first fruits go to him. So if you don't want God involved in your finances, keep going the way that you're going. If you do, at some point, it takes a step of faith to trust him, to give God the first, that he might redeem the rest. Now, folks, listen, this is not about God or the church needing your money. This is about you being blessed. Robert Morris writes the book, The Blessed Life, upon which this series is based, says, my heart is being broken. He's a pastor for the body of Christ because of our lack of understanding of these principles and our failure to walk in God's blessings. My heart breaks because much of the body of Christ is living under a curse as a direct result of stealing from God. I counsel people all the time who are struggling, having conflict in their marriages and strife in their homes for this very reason. They don't understand that the firstborn, the first fruits, and the tithe belong to God. Wives, I don't know if you've recognized this, but husbands have what we call selective hearing. <laughs> Did you know that? that there's, a, there's a hearing aid that they buy... <laughs> That uh, the, the reality is that you don't see it because it's invisible, but we all get this. I, my wife went to Thailand to collect my daughter, Sian, who's been on a mission trip. And uh, she gave me a list of things to do back here in LA before she arrived home. And when she came back, 
She said, have you done this, this, and this? And of course I said, no, because I really don't remember hearing her say that. Now that's the truth. That is the, it's not that I heard her say it and didn't do it. It's just we have selective hearing. It's amazing how we can just kind of close you out when you're saying things we don't want to hear. It, it's a gift. It really is. It's a gift. And uh, here's what I found with people when it comes to this, and I myself being one of them, is that for many, many years when I heard a message like this, it made me angry. Because I would say, oh, come on, man, don't give that Old Testament law on me. And then I started waiting, I started studying the scripture. Hold on. The book of Genesis is long before the law ever came into being. And then when Jesus gets in Matthew 23, 23, read it sometimes, he compliments even the Pharisees for their tithing. And then the Apostle Paul, this is a definitive statement for me. The Apostle Paul assumes that tithing is part of the Christian community, the first fruits thing. Because here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day of every week, did you hear that? First day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. What does that mean? In keeping with your income, that means on the basis of what you make. You with me? The first day of every week, on the basis of what you make, collected, he says, goes on, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. You know what he's saying? He says, I don't want to come, and I don't want to have to take up a special offering for the needs of ministry. I want to know that you've been setting it aside all along so that when I come, I'll gather it up and go do the work of ministry. I want to know that you understand the first fruits principle. Now, you understand what he's saying, right? He's saying this, basically. Uh, if you make $10, first of, again, I'm sorry, a year, he's saying it's expect, expected that one goes to God. Now, hold on, no, hold on. What if you make 1,000? What if you make 100,000 a year? 10,000. 50,000, 5,000, 500,000, 50,000, 1 million, 100,000. I had a guy tell me once, hey, you know what? Look, I make a million dollars. The tithe, that's 100,000 for me. That's a lot of money. I said, okay, let me get this straight. God has blessed you with a million dollars a year and you're complaining because you have to give back 100,000. See, here's how the God looks at this. For the single mom who's struggling to make ends meet and makes, let's say, 5,000 a year, when she gives that 10%, it is equal to the guy who makes a million and gives 100,000. It's not the amount. It's the percentage of the first fruits of the firstborn of the first portions that go to God, no matter what it is that you make. So if you're incredibly wealthy and you think, man, I, I do great. I mean, I make a million a year, but I give, man, I give $5,000 a year to the church. Then you don't give the first portions and you don't give the first fruits. The principle is the first portion, the first fruits. And if you think about it, it goes even past Cain and Abel. You ever wondered why God put the tree in the garden in the first place? Anybody ever wonder that? Let me help you. There's an apologetic reason that I don't have time to go into, but I will go into the pragmatic one. There is a temptation from mankind from the very beginning to believe that he's the owner, not the steward to look at all he or she has and think, man, I have done this with my own two hands. So God puts a tree in the garden and says, you can touch everything, you can have everything in the garden, but not the first fruits. They belong to me. Don't touch the first fruits. If you do, a curse will come upon you. They did, and a curse came upon them. They were kicked out of the garden, and you and I are suffering the ramifications ever since. God says, give me the first fruits. Give it. 
to me. And he says that it's devoted, it's consecrated. Wow, that the first part of your life is holy. So that if you get to the end of the year and you realize, man, what's that doing here? This is consecrated, it's holy. What is that doing in my house? Take that to where it belongs. When you understand that the first 10, that the portion, that the first fruits have been set apart, consecrated to God, you don't want it anywhere near you. You want it where it belongs. Now, the problem with that, however, is this. God never wanted us to approach this with fear. He wanted to approach it with opportunity and blessing. If you read over in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, Hezekiah wants to restore the temple, and he wants to restore worship. And so he says to the people, I want you to bring all the firstborn and all the firstfruits back into the house of God where it belongs, and we're going to start doing what God has asked us to do from the beginning. So he has all the people do that from the get-go. Everything that you own right now, bring the first portions, the first tenth, the firstborn, everything, bring it in. And then he goes to a guy by the name of Azariah, the chief priest, and he says, okay, how are they doing with having given all this stuff to God? And here's his response. Azariah, the chief priest from the family of Zadok, answered, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Here's what he's saying. Since we started doing what we were supposed to do, we've got so much now that we don't even need it all. A blessed life begins with a clear understanding and acceptance of the principle of the firstborn, firstfruits, and the tithe. Now, this whole series is not going to be on this topic, but the blessed life begins when you understand that the first portion of your life goes to God. In whatever area you do that, God promises to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you. So it's up to you. Now, having said that, I want to ask you four quick questions, and I'm going to end, and they go quickly. Number one, is God first in your life? Now, you know we're not only talking about money here. Is, he, is God first in your day? Do you give the first portion of your day to God? Whether it's 15 minutes in prayer and thanksgiving, do you give the first portion of your day? Then God says, I'll, I'll redeem the rest of your day. Do you give the first portion of your week to God? God says, you do that, I'll redeem the rest of your week. Do you give the first portion of your income to God? Then God says, okay, then I'll redeem the rest of it. Whatever area it is, are you giving God first place? And whatever gift he gave you, are you using that gift to expand Christ's kingdom? He says, if you do that, I'll redeem the rest. Question two, am I taking from God what belongs to him? You need to understand that God is a loving heavenly father who desperately wants to bless his children, but he's not going to be an enabler. So if you are not giving the first fruits of your income to God, you're robbing God because that's holy and consecrated and you have a decision to make. You can keep going the way you're going, but make, make certain you understand nothing's, not, nothing's going to change. And it's hard to go to God and ask him to bless you if you're going to ask for monetary or financial blessing when you're not giving God the first fruits. That prayer, I want to tell you, is a useless prayer unless you're expecting God to really move you and motivate and open your eyes to the first fruits and the first portions of your life. Three, what could be done in this place if everyone put God first? This is a pragmatic issue. What could be done? What could be done here for the vision God has given us if more than 13% of us were tithing? What would happen? What would happen? I think it would be like Easter here every weekend. Remember Easter? About 12,000 people show up every Easter. You know why? Because they've decided that's a priority. What, what would happen around this place if said, I want God to redeem the rest of my week so the first part of my week is a non-negotiable? What would happen? It'd be, so much, it'd be so electric. 
And God calls his church to be the hope of the world, but we expect the government to do it. And we have to have the government do it because we're not able to do it because we're not giving the first fruits of our lives to God. What could we do? My friend Anastas over here, he could have that truck that I mentioned last week and that internet cafe for his pastors to have access to the Bible and to commentaries and to continue to grow and prosper the church. Last week when I talked about Anastas, two people came up to me and offered to buy him a truck. But nobody came up to me and said, you know what, I'm gonna start tithing. See, if you tithe, we don't have to tell you about a need. We only have to tell you about a need and how we met it because of your generosity and giving. You understand? Last year, Christians in America made more than $10 trillion. They gave less than 1.7% of that away. 1.7%. Think of all the opportunities we could say yes to if people honored God with their first fruits. And then fourth and finally, what would the church look like if everybody had your attitude about giving? What would our church look like? Guy sent me an email once and said, hey, Jeff, I give. I just don't give to church. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, what would our church look like if everybody in our church had your attitude? He wrote back, touche. <laughs> I, think that, I think you bring the tithes in the storehouse and your offerings can go wherever you want them to go. But the first fruits belong to God. And if this church serves you and ministers to you and this is where you call home, then this is the place you bring the tithe into the storehouse for the work of ministry. I got back from Australia. Most of you have been following me through this whole thing about my anxiety disorder. And I'm on the other end of it now. I'm doing extremely well and I'm so glad. But you also notice I've lost quite a bit of weight over the last two years. And so when I got back from Australia, I thought, you know what? It's time for me to get back in shape. Now, when I mean shape, I've been running a lot. I mean, I've been like Forrest Gump, a running fool. I've just been running three to five miles every other day. And I do that because I've realized if I run three to five miles every other day, the anxiety attacks don't come. And so I got some running shoes. And for the last two years since, they happened, since my first attack happened, I've been running like crazy. Now, I've noticed that I lost all muscle mass that I had. And I never had a lot because I'm, I'm just built lean. But I had significantly more than I've got now because I, I was a gym rat. I'd go to the gym three times a week and I've done that for most of my life. But when the anxiety attacks came, I had to stop going to the gym because it did something weird to my system. But running did something great. So I stopped the gym and I became a runner. Well, I was looking in the mirror one day, as we men tend to do. And uh, I thought, boy, you don't look very, you look like Gumby, man. You got to do something by this. So I went out, I went out and I bought these, the perfect push-up. And I thought, you know, I'll work out with a perfect push-up and get my body back in shape and then I'll be able to go back to the gym and not embarrass myself. Two years now since I've lifted any weights. I got down on the floor with my new perfect push-up. Now I used to get down on the floor and do about 60 at a time, right? And then I'd take a break and do 40, 50 more. I used to be able to bench something like 220, which is good for a guy like me. Never was a big guy like some of you guys pushing three, 400 pounds around. I got down to do push-ups. I did eight. <laughs> I did eight and I was about to die. And I stood up and I thought, oh my, I was embarrassed. I was glad nobody was watching. You know, if my wife came in the door, I'd go, 100, 101, you know, but eight, eight push-ups. I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I thought, what on earth? You've got to be kidding me. Two years. And I mean, when you get older, man, it falls apart fast. I said, that's, that, that's an anomaly. So I got, I'm going to do it this time. Eight, nine. That was it. I did 40 push-ups, but I did them in four sets. And I, I was so ashamed. But if you know anything about my personality, I thought, this is not right. I'm ashamed of myself. 
and now I'm on a strict regiment of the perfect push-up. You give me six months and I'll be doing them again. <laughs> the story is to tell you that it's not enough to be ashamed. You actually have to do something about it. And some of you ought to be ashamed of yourself for what you give to the God who gave you so much and his work and his ministry. And there are a lot of you wives right now in here wishing that your husband would take the lead on this and you've been asking him to do that for a long time. Pray for him. It's a hard thing for a man to do because he's afraid. Pray that God would give him courage and wisdom and the reward is on the other side. And I pray that every single one of you walk out of here with shame if you have to have shame, but the shame will move you to wisdom and courage and you will make a change so that God can open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your life. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.